Chapter Ten, Watches of the Night, of Plain Tales from the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter Ten, Watches of the Night. What is in the Brahmin's books that is in the Brahmin's heart? Neither you nor I knew there was so much evil in the world. A Hindu proverb. This began as a practical joke, but it has gone far enough now, and is getting serious. Platt, the subaltern being poor, had a Waterbury watch and a plain leather guard. The colonel had a Waterbury watch also, and for guard, the lip-strap of a curb-chain. Lip-straps make the best watch-guards. They're strong and short. Between a lip-strap and an ordinary leather guard there is no great difference. Between one Waterbury watch and another there is none at all. Everyone in the station knew the colonel's lip-strap. He was not a horsey man, but he liked people to believe he had been once. And he wove fantastic stories of the hunting bridle to which this particular lip-strap had belonged. Otherwise he was painfully religious. Platt and the colonel were dressing at the club, both late for their engagements and both in a hurry. That was Kismet. The two watches were on a shelf below the looking-glass, guards hanging down. That was carelessness. Platt changed first, snatched a watch, looked in the glass, settled his tie, and ran. Forty seconds later the colonel did exactly the same thing, each man taking the other's watch. You may have noticed that many religious people are deeply suspicious. They seem, for purely religious purposes, of course, to know more about iniquity than the unregenerate. Perhaps they were especially bad before they became converted. At any rate, in the imputation of things evil, and in putting the worst construction on things innocent, a certain type of good people may be trusted to surpass all others. The colonel and his wife were of that type. But the colonel's wife was the worst. She manufactured the station scandal, and— talked to her ayah. Nothing more need be said. The colonel's wife broke up the little place's home. The colonel's wife stopped the Ferris Houtry engagement. The colonel's wife induced young Buxton to keep his wife down in the plains through the first year of the marriage, whereby little Mrs. Buxton died, and the baby with her. These things will be remembered against the colonel's wife so long as there is a regiment in the country. But to come back to the Colonel and Platt, they went their several ways from the dressing-room. The Colonel dined with two chaplains, while Platt went to a bachelor party, and whist to follow. Mark how things happen. If Platt's size had put the new saddle-pad on the mare, the butts of the turrets would not have worked through the worn leather and the old pad into the mare's withers when she was coming home at two o'clock in the morning. She would not have reared, bolted, fallen into a ditch, upset the cart, and set Platt flying over an aloe hedge on to Mrs. Larkin's well-kept lawn, and this tale would never have been written. But the mare did do all these things, and while Platt was rolling over and over on the turf like a shot rabbit, the watch and guard flew from his waistcoat, as an infantry major's sword hops out of the scabbard when they are firing a feu de joie, and rolled and rolled in the moonlight till it stopped under a window. Platt stuffed his handkerchief under the pad, put the cart straight, and went home. Mark again how kismet works. This would not happen once in a hundred years. 
Towards the end of his dinner with the two chaplains, the colonel let out his waistcoat and leaned over the table to look at some mission reports. The bar of the watch-guard worked through the buttonhole, and the watch, Platt's watch, slid quietly onto the carpet, where the bearer found it the next morning, and kept it. Then the colonel went home to the wife of his bosom, but the driver of the carriage was drunk and lost his way, so the colonel returned at an unseemly hour, and his excuses were not accepted. If the colonel's wife had been an ordinary vessel of wrath appointed for destruction, she would have known that when a man stays away on purpose his excuse is always sound and original. The very baldness of the colonel's explanation proved its truth. See once more the workings of Kismet. The colonel's watch, which came with Platt, hurriedly on to Mrs. Larkin's lawn, chose to stop just under Mrs. Larkin's window, where she saw it early in the morning, recognized it, and picked it up. She had heard the crash of Platt's cart at two o'clock that morning, and his voice calling the mayor names. She knew Platt and liked him. That day she showed him the watch and heard his story. He put his head on one side, winked, and said, "'How disgusting, shocking old man, with his religious training, too. I should send the watch to the colonel's wife, and ask for explanation.' Mrs. Larkin thought for a minute of the Laplaces, whom she had known when Laplace and his wife believed in each other, and answered, "'I will send it. I think it will do her good.' But remember, we must never, never tell her the truth. Platt guessed that his own watch was in the colonel's possession, and thought that the return of the lip-strapped Waterbury with a soothing note from Mrs. Larkin would merely create a small trouble for a few minutes. Mrs. Larkin, of course, knew better. She knew that any poison dropped would find good holding ground in the heart of the colonel's wife. The packet and a note containing a few remarks on the colonel's calling hours, were sent over to the colonel's wife, who wept in her own room, and took counsel with herself. If there was one woman under heaven whom the colonel's wife hated with holy fervor, it was Mrs. Larkin. Mrs. Larkin was a frivolous lady, and called the colonel's wife Old Cat. The colonel's wife said that somebody in Revelations was remarkably like Mrs. Larkin. She mentioned other scripture people as well from the Old Testament. But the Colonel's wife was the only person who cared or dared to say anything against Mrs. Larkin. Everyone else accepted her as an amusing, honest little body. Wherefore, to believe that her husband had been shedding watches under that thing's window at ungodly hours, coupled with the fact of his late arrival on the previous night, was... Um... Well, at this point she rose up and sought her husband. He denied everything except the ownership of the watch. She besought him for his soul's sake to speak the truth. He denied afresh with two bad words. Then a stony silence held the colonel's wife, while a, a man could draw his breath five times. The speech that follows is no affair of mine or yours. It was made up of wifely and womanly jealousy, knowledge of old age and sunken cheeks, deep mistrust born of the text that says, Even little babies' hearts are as bad as they make them rancorous hatred of Mrs. Larkin, and the tenets of the creed of the colonel's wife's upbringing. Over and above all was the damning lip-strapped Waterbury, ticking away in the palm of her shaking, withered hand. At that hour, I think, the colonel's wife realized a little of the restless suspicions she had injected into old Laplace's mind, a little of poor Mrs. Hawtrey's misery, 
and some of the canker that ate into Buxton's heart as he watched his wife dying before his eyes. The colonel stammered and tried to explain. Then he remembered that his watch had disappeared, and the mystery grew greater. The colonel's wife talked and prayed by turns till she was tired, and went away to devise means for chastening the stubborn heart of her husband, which translated means in our slang, tail-twisting. You see, being deeply impressed with the doctrine of original sin, she could not believe in the face of appearances. She knew too much, and jumped to the wildest conclusions. But it was good for her. It spoiled her life as she had spoilt the life of the Laplaces. She had lost her faith in the colonel, and here the creed suspicion came in. He might, she argued, have erred many times before a merciful providence, at the hands of so unworthy an instrument as Mrs. Larkin, had established his guilt. He was a bad, wicked, gray-haired profligate. This may sound too sudden a revulsion for a long-wedded wife, but it's a venerable fact that if a man or woman makes a practice of, and takes a delight in, believing and spreading evil of people indifferent to him or her, he or she will end in believing evil of folk very near and dear. You may think also that the mere incident of the watch was too small and trivial to raise this misunderstanding. It's another aged fact that, in life as well as racing, all the worst accidents happen at little ditches and cut-down fences. In the same way, you sometimes see a woman who would have made a Joan of Arc in another century in climate, threshing herself to pieces over all the mean worry of housekeeping. Ah, but that's another story. Her belief only made the colonel's wife more wretched, because it insisted so strongly on the villainy of men. Remembering what she had done, it was pleasant to watch her unhappiness, and the penny-farthing attempt she made to hide it from the station. But the station knew, and laughed heartlessly, for they had heard the story of the watch, with much dramatic gesture, from Mrs. Larkin's lips. Once or twice Platt said to Mrs. Larkin, seeing that the colonel had not cleared himself, "'This thing has gone far enough. I move we tell the colonel's wife how it happened.' Mrs. Larkin shut her lips and shook her head, and vowed that the colonel's wife must bear her punishment as best she could. Now Mrs. Larkin was a frivolous woman in whom none would have suspected deep hate, so Platt took no action and came to believe gradually from the colonel's silence that the colonel must have run off the line somewhere that night, and therefore preferred to stand a sentence on the lesser count of rambling into other people's compounds out of calling hours. Platt forgot about the watch business after a while, and moved down country with his regiment. Mrs. Larkin went home when her husband's tour of Indian service expired. She never forgot. But Platt was quite right when he said that the joke had gone too far. The mistrust and the tragedy of it, which we outsiders cannot see and do not believe in, are killing the colonel's wife and are making the colonel wretched. If either of them read this story, they can depend upon its being a fairly true account of the case, and can kiss and make friends. Shakespeare alludes to the pleasure of watching an engineer being shelled by his own battery. Now this shows that poets should not write about what they do not understand. Anyone could have told him that sappers and gunners are perfectly different branches of the service. But if you correct the sentence and substitute gunner for sapper, the moral comes just the same. End of chapter 10 Watches of the Night Recorded by Mike Harris